All right. In Ephesians chapter 3, in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. So we continue to walk through this awesome book. Um, still want to say, I mentioned last week about the English Standard Version Study Bible. I got mine in the mail. If you want us to order you one, we can get it through the church office here, through uh, Amazon for a little over 31 bucks for the hard copy. Uh, I don't get any commission off of this. All right, I just want to make that, make that clear, but this has been a great study tool just since I received it on uh, Tuesday. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, this is the second part to last week's message. Last week we looked at the subject called, I don't know how to pray. And just, just by an honest show of hands, like we're just going to be, can we be real on a Sunday morning? Y'all okay with that? Just as an honest show of hands, have you ever been in the place in your life, you're like, Lord, I really don't know what to pray. Anybody ever been there? All right, cool. About half, honest, the other half, got some work to do, okay? Or some, sometimes it's like, I, 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 may, I don't know what to pray for. It's not that, it's like, I don't even know how to pray. And what we're looking at in verse 14 through verse 21 in Ephesians chapter 3 is the Apostle Paul and the prayer that he prays for people who are going to be under persecution. That means that they're going to be many times lose their jobs, lose their freedoms, be excluded from society because they believe in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is in prison. Now, notice very quickly, uh, this is this is kind of a little bit of a review from last week. The Apostle Paul never prayed for material stuff. Like, I don't see Paul in this prayer praying for a new chariot. Let's just read the text. We're going to begin at verse 14, although today we're going to study verses 16 through 21 and pick up where we left off last week. But I just want to read it so that we don't lose the focus of what The Bible is uh, communicating here. Verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. And the Bible says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, so that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, or, or literally in your inner person, so that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to, check this out, to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, this is awesome, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him, speaking of God, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And all the people said, Amen. Man, this is going to be good stuff. And our, our, our main sentence here is simply this. That if you think that it's too much to ask of God, then you probably should. This is part two of the same thrust. If you and I think that something is too difficult, too great, too impossible, then we ought to ask God for it. But, but let me qualify this. 
Nowhere in this passage does the Apostle Paul ask for material things. That means if we come to Scripture and we we read verses where Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, it shall be done. And we come to the Scripture and we're like, sweet, I have heard that a Ferrari can go close and well over 200 miles an hour. And the Bible says that whatever I ask in Jesus' name, God's going to do it. And since nothing is impossible for God, the logical end of the syllogism is, God, I pray that you would give me the fastest Ferrari or the biggest, baddest Lamborghini on the East Coast in Jesus' name, amen. And you're just waiting out there for Ed McMahon or somebody to bring you your new ride that's not what's going on he doesn't ask for luxury items he doesn't even ask really for anything material at all not only that but he doesn't ask for anything watch out physical he doesn't even pray about health here now throughout the scripture we are supposed to pray for one another when we get sick we're supposed to visit one another when we get sick If people, no, there are some people in the church and it's like when anything happens, it's special ops, you know. I can't let anybody know that I just broke my neck and I'm, I mean, if if something happens, let us know. We want to minister to you. We want to visit you. We want to talk to you. We want to show the love of Christ to you. But he's not speaking about praying for physical needs. Not only that, but he's not speaking of financial needs. He's praying that people would know God in a deeper way. And when all of the dust is cleared away, some of the time I see the things that I pray for are many times financial, they're physical, they're material. But when you look at throughout Scripture, the things that really matter in the end are none of those categories. In fact, one of my friend's dads died several years ago of cancer. And one of the things that he said before he passed away is I'm looking back on my life now and the things that are, he used the word, immaterial, love, devotion to Christ, the gospel, the power of God's spirit. He said, these things are of most value in comparison to the things that most of us spend our lives trying to get. Isn't it an amazing thing that most of us, we spend our lives trying to get stuff that like 99.9% except for the ones who died insane. And that's not a joke. A huge majority of the people in their last breaths look back on the things that most of us are chasing our whole life to get. And they say, as Solomon said, that under the sun all is empty, it's vain, it's meaningless. And yet we think that we're the new kid on the block. And by the way, wasn't that a terrible era in pop music? New kids on the block. Some of you guys still have the t-shirt from sixth grade. And when nobody's looking around, you rock that while watching uh, some show. But anyway, I don't know where that came from. But getting back to the text, we, we, we look for all of these things as if we are going to be able to make history and gain lasting happiness from what is never given anyone lasting happiness before. The Apostle Paul begins there in verse number 16 that says, and check it out with me, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with what? With power through the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, in your inner being. 
Now, if you have your, your worship guide bulletin, uh, let, let me just give you our outline this morning up front. You guys ready for it? What I want to do, let's just write this down. Let's get it down, uh, record it, and then we're going to walk and try to fill in some of the blanks. So first uh, division there, what should what we should pray for. We're going to talk about what we should pray for. Here it is. There, there are four characteristics. The first is spiritual, or you can write the word inner strength. All right? Inner strength. It's not talking about guys' bigger biceps. Lady, it's not talking about a certain type of figure. It speaks of inner strength. Secondly, Christ settled in your life. Christ settled in your life. Third, there in verse 17 as well, that you would be rooted in love. Think of a tree. Rooted in love. Next, grounded in love. Foundation, something that's firm, something that will not move. Then in verses 18 and 19, we see the outcome of prayer. When I pray for these things, what's going to happen when I get them? Well, the first is that in verse 18, that you would comprehend or literally understand the gospel. Secondly, that we would experience the love of Christ. Half of you guys are just looking at me. If y'all got a, a bullet, this is the reason why we do this, so you guys can, can, can follow along. If you don't want to take notes, don't, but some of you guys are looking like, what is going on? Um, it's, it's right here. We all on the same page? We good? All right. Well, I wish sometimes you guys could have my view. It's awesome. More stand-up materials sometimes than you could... Anyway, all right. Um, experience the love of Christ, and finally, have the heart of God... And the mind of Christ. The heart of God and the mind of Christ. So here's the action point. The action point is that we would pray with faith, with faith, in God's ability to answer versus your ability to pray. And I pray that that would soak into our lives. Say that one more time. That our action point here is to pray with faith in God's ability to answer versus our ability to pray. We're going to break this down, but let me, let me give you a little preview. Let me get infomercial here. What this means is that when we see the need for big time God intervention in our lives and in the lives of other people, it's very often that we can get into this mindset that if I can figure out how to pray better, then God will listen to me better. Newsflash. God's hearing of our prayers has never depended upon our skill with using these and thous. God hearing anybody, anytime, regardless of the time or the language, has never been an issue of their ability to get out a theological dictionary and throw out million dollar words. But God's intervention through our prayers has always been a result of God's ability to do what we cannot do. Do you see the difference? One is built all around my ability to pray, and the other is built around God's ability to answer. And there is a huge, huge difference. You see there in in verse 16, he begins with he's asking, I pray that he would give you strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, in the faith, Act like men, be strong. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You see the difference? In His might. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through, help me out through, Christ who gives me strength. So praying and the Christian life has never been an issue of us getting to some level to where God's like, cool, because of your good performance, you made the cut. (laughs) You're on my team now that you're cool enough to be like me. Never has it worked that way. It's always been an issue of grace. It's always been an issue of grace. And people say, well, Jeff, when it's, it, it's talking there in, in verse number 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm a Christian, but I'm not experiencing a lot of freedom. I've been saved, but it seems like sometimes my life, in a way, if you could put some fog in front of a mirror, you could see my old life. If a person has truly been saved, then they have freedom. But many times what happens is the word here, literally the expanded translation could be that Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your heart. We used the illustration last week. Sometimes maybe you might buy a home, right? You have bought the home and you walk in and it's not home yet. You feel me? You know what I'm talking about? It's yours legally, But there are some changes that need to take place. And I'm a big believer in letting people who know how to decorate, decorate. And the people who don't know how to decorate, don't decorate. Uh, When I had my apartment in Fort Worth, man, if you walked in, you would see a map of Costa Rica with certain surf spots marked, a pair of rubber nunchucks, and a picture of my friend's face that he wore for Halloween. He's a weird guy. He took a picture of his own face, cut out eye holes, and wore it. Walk up to people and they say, who are you? He'd say, I'm me. I'm like, okay, well, honey, it's time to go. It's just weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to decorate. So the point is, check this out. Since I don't know how to decorate, guess what I'm not going to do? Decorate. And if we couldn't save ourselves to begin with, and we came to Christ and he saved us, then what sense does it make to come to Christ to say, you know what, Jesus, I give you all that I am. You are my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin. I believe in you. I want to be saved. And he saves you. And at that point, we want to micromanage God. Does that, does that seem illogical? Um, here, here's a statement by the founder of Intel, pretty smart dude, Robert Noyce, about micromanaging. And if you are married or sitting by a micromanager in your family, this is not the time to look over and say, you need to listen up because it causes problems after when you go home. Here's what he said about micromanaging. Check it out. He said, get the barriers out of the way to let people do the things they do well. What an amazing concept. Like if somebody's good at something and you're the owner of a company, let them do it, right? In the context of a church, if somebody's good at serving, let them do it. Don't vote for through 18 different committees and get the nominating committee and the committee on committees. And seriously, let them serve. Amen. Just turn them loose. When I was a kid, I was wrestling with my brother. My parents were about to spank me. And my dad said, I was holding my brother. He was trying to get to something. He said, let the man go. Maybe you had to be there. And I let the man go to avoid the wrath of the Board of Education, as my dad called it. Micromanaging. I'm going to ask you a question. If you're a Christian here today, and by that I don't mean somebody comes to church. Y'all okay? 
We're not talking about somebody who has a suit in their closet. All right. We're not talking about somebody who, you know, like, well, I don't beat my wife and my dog in that order. I'm a Christian. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody who's really been saved and really been changed for real. The real thing. On the same page, if you've really been saved, I'm going to ask you this question. If Christ has saved you from hell, if He has given you a new heart, if He has so changed your life that you are a brand new person, then why not let Him run your life? See, that's where we get hung up. That's what he says. Go, go back with me there to verse number 17. So that Christ may, the word here dwell, literally means to be at home, to operate as a leader. It means to let Christ get in the control room of your heart. It means to let Him roll. So you know what? You come in here, you do what you need to do. Now, the reason why that's so difficult is because a lot of times we know that there are things in our lives that we're ashamed of. Things that we don't want to change. But if Christ is so merciful to come and show us what is wrong, and we've talked about this many times before, if you're eating with a friend, say, Jeff, why don't you go back to some of these metaphors again? Because we need to get it. If you're eating with a friend at a restaurant and you've got something hanging off of your teeth or hanging out of your nose or if your train is off the track, your friend will tell you what is up. Because they love you and they don't want you to embarrass yourself in a greater way. Christ loves us so much that he points out the things in our lives saying, give that to me and I'll change you even more. And at this point, somebody says, now, Jeff, it says there in verse number 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I don't think that I can have faith because I tried getting saved one time before and it didn't work. How many of you have ever heard someone say that? Something, something of the sort. Like, I, I, tried, I tried to do the Christian thing, you know, I tried to get saved, but it just didn't catch. Well, there's a, there's a fallacy within that statement. And it's that I tried just that. So, that statement alone, who's the one trying to get the stuff done? Is it God or is it us? It's us. So, the fact of trying to get something done. Man, before I was saved, I prayed the sinner's prayer so many times. I would do something that I was terribly ashamed of doing. I would do something so wrong, say things, and I would say, man, i got to get saved. And I would just pray this prayer, and, and, and nothing would happen because I was trying to do something that only God can do. Here's how it really sticks. You come to God in absolute, complete humility and submission. And it'll save you. Oswald Changers said it like this. Please hone in on this statement. This is an incredibly helpful word from the Lord through Oswald Chambers. He said, yield in childhood to selfishness. You ever seen that selfish kid, right? right? Selfishness. And you will find it the most enchaining tyranny on earth. There is no power in the human soul of itself to break the bondage of a disposition formed by yielding. It means I yield to my desires, they take control. I yield to these desires, they take more control. And then he said, there is no release in human power at all, but only in the redemption, meaning getting saved for real. You must, he says, yield yourself in utter humiliation to the one who can break the domination power, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
yielding to Jesus will break every form of slavery in any human life. Let's just give glory to God today. Man, if we had time, we could open up this stage here and let some of you say, Jesus delivered me from this. Jesus delivered me from this. Jesus delivered me from this. But because of the gospel, he can break the chains of slavery. Say, Jeff, how does that happen? Yield to him. So that go back with me once again to verse 17. So that Christ may live and operate in our hearts through faith. You see, faith is the way that we allow God to come in. Faith is a gift according to Scripture. And faith is something like maybe some of you parents have bought your kids a uh, swing set. Anybody ever made that fatal mistake? A swing set. And it comes in you know, about 5,489 parts and an owner's manual that's not in English, even though it is. And you're, you're like, I love my children, but I think that I'm going to end up beating every piece of this place that together and making it into scrap metal. I'm gonna, and it's so difficult. What faith is, this is so awesome. You see this in the Bible. Faith is a gift that God gives. And if we receive that gift and we simply say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. My family needs Christ. They're lost. I can't fix them. I feel like I'm preaching at them all the time. I've got things that I need to gain freedom in. Lord Jesus, would you come in and do it? Faith is simply God saying, here's the key to the control room. You unlock it and then say, Lord, you come in and work the controls. That's what it is. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Christ said, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. Hear this. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, meaning our sinful desires, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but I want to have it out. And C.S. Lewis says, hand over the whole natural self, meaning you and all of your sin." All the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, Jesus says, I will give you myself and my own shall become yours. The Christian life is not a ladder that we climb by memorizing Bible verses. But it's simply a yielding and a submission to the power of God, that Christ may, once again, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then notice, it goes further in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. So the outcome of prayer, when we pray passionately that God would work, here's one of the results. And you have this there in your guide. To comprehend the gospel. Verse 18 says, once again, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Now this word right here may have the ability or the strength. This is the only time in the Bible to where this word is used. And here's our big word for today. You guys ready for this? Hapax legomena. That means the it's only mentioned one time. So if you're a coach... Go out onto your football field and scream, Hey, Pax Legomenon! They're like, what are you talking about? I don't know, but I got your attention. I'm only going to say it once. There you go, moms, with your kids that don't listen. Mom's only going to say it once. Did any of you have parents that counted? All right. 
It's, you know, kind of like, it's not like some, some parents uh, today, honey, I, okay, one, one, one and one quarter, one and one half. You know, like ba- back in the day, for some of you, it was like a boxing ring. One, two, you know, swing with every count. It wasn't like I'm going to give you a heads up. It's like you are going down. Um, and then you also have the area where the parents say, if you move, you're going to get another one. And you're like, well, the force that you're hitting me, I can't anyway. It's the only time this word is used. Mark it in your Bible. Here's the significance of the phrase that begins verse 18, that you may have the strength or the ability to comprehend the gospel. Here's what it means. It means that you may be fully capable of doing or experiencing something. doesn't mean that you may do it. It means that you have all of the ability to do it. It's like getting Hulk Hogan back in the 1980s on a bench with 75 pounds and saying, Hulk, can you bench it? It's ludicrous to even put out the possibility. And uh, the Hulksters in the house are remaining quiet. But you may have strength. You see, that's what a lot of times we, we, we in the Christian life, when we think, well, I know I'm supposed to allow Christ to live and dwell and operate in my heart, but I, oh, see, there it, is, there it is, but I'm not, Jeff. I can't, I don't. So who is the emphasis on? Again, it's on you. The Christian life is upon the ability that God gives you. Isn't that a good truth from the Word of God? That you may be able, all of this goes back to the grace of God, that God would give you the ability to grasp. And the word there to comprehend literally means to grab a hold of something. It means to comprehend the gospel. The gospel, like God is forever. God always has been. God never grows old. God never loses power. And yet God would create this whole world and he would put two people there and everything that they needed. Imagine that. Everything. There was no death. There was no animal planet where it's like kids programming. You turn it on and there's like animals ripping each other apart and your kid's like, you know, like none of that. Everything was perfect and yet God gave them everything that they need. And yet there was one stipulation. He said, don't eat of this one tree. You can eat of all the other trees, but don't eat of this one tree. And they Eight of the one tree. Sin entered into the world. Death and war and slavery and torture and famine and divorce and, and, and everything that plagues our world entered in at that time. But yet God said, that's okay. I'm going to come into the world. I'm going to send my son. And he's going to take on human flesh. He's going to breathe like a human. He's going to hurt like a human. He's going to sweat. He's going to have to eat food. He's going to have a body, but he will be my son. And yet Jesus comes to this world and he does things like he he heals people. Remember reading that in the Bible? He heals people. He raises some people from the dead. He gives mercy to people that society wanted to exclude forever. And yet what did the world do? The religious establishment? They wanted to kill him. The political establishment to keep peace said okay. Do we, do we comprehend that? That God came into the world to redeem the world and the world killed the Son of God? 
I've heard of people before in hunting accidents and, and they accidentally pull the trigger and, and it's a person there behind the bush and, and not a deer. And, and those people have to deal with the guilt their whole life or someone who came around, thank you, who came around a corner and they thought no one was there and there was a child playing in the road and they, and they accidentally killed the child and there's just this, such a sense of grief. And oh God, I wish that I had not done that. Why couldn't I have gone home a different way? But can you imagine the guilt of bringing the Son of God not to an execution by lethal injection, but a cruel death on a Roman cross? You say, yeah, those were some pretty sorry jokers, Jeff. Dirty Roman soldiers didn't have any mercy. The Jewish religious leaders were so filled with pride. But here's where we comprehend the Gospel. That it wasn't just them. It was you and me. It was our collective sins. It was our sin that put Christ on the cross. And to go even deeper to, what's the text say? To comprehend. That means it wasn't just us. It wasn't just them. But please hear me. But it was me. It was my sin. Me, Jeff. Your name. It was me. My sin that caused Jesus to go to the cross. And when we comprehend, notice what it says in the rest of verse 18. With all of the saints, and this is not a person who has their name on a plaque. This is not a person in the Roman Catholic Church. It simply means the word saints in the Bible means anybody who's saved. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of what? Notice in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ. That's where it all comes together to see that my sin put Jesus on the cross. My sin, my sin, not ours, not theirs, not his, not hers, but my sin, me, my lies and my looking at things that I should not and my saying things that I should not, my not standing up for truth when I should have, my cowardice, all of the things that I've done in my whole life, you wrap it up in a package and you can just smell the stinking mess of sin and it's my sin that put him there, but that I may comprehend the love of Christ at the same time. Wow! That Christ would love someone like me. That He would give me a chance to be saved. What an awesome opportunity. That's why go with me there in verse number 19. And to know the love of Christ that, what's it say? That exceeds or surpasses all knowledge. This word literally means extreme. Any of you guys like extreme sports? Right? Anything extreme means further than the normal. And when it says that it surpasses knowledge, it means that it's so extreme it goes so much further. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, literally all mind, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, now Jeff, why does it say in verse 19, check it out, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. It's like God is telling me I need to know something that can't fully be known. Well, there's a point in everybody's life where we don't get the gospel. Those of you who are saved, do you remember the time that you got the gospel, it like clicked, right? It's like, oh, for all his sin, that's me. That's me. All has sinned. And later you look back like it was so obvious. 
It's kind of like when sometimes you tell a joke and some people, they just don't get it. They have to be explain the joke. And sometimes when you tell a joke in, in a meeting like this, it kind of rolls back and you have the ones leaning over to somebody and after about five minutes, they're like, oh, I got it. Right? There's a time sometimes in every person's life before they're saved where they just don't get the gospel. They don't get it. But when God comes and He shows you that it's not their sin, but it's your sin, everything becomes new because it becomes personalized. You see, the gospel... The gospel is not an abstract concept. It's not something that we just believe because we go to this thing called church. The gospel is a living reality in our lives to the point that Christ will literally change your life. But some people say, Jeff, I don't get it. It's like my best friend outside my brother's. He passed his last semester in college, his only math class that he had to take by half a point. That's called squeaking by, my friend. And after that, my friend had a bonfire to celebrate the end of his math career. Guess what was going down at the bonfire? The math book. Man, there's like a whole album was on Facebook of him like boot kicking his math book, biting his math book, punching it, burning it. He hated math because he didn't get it. And maybe you don't like... Do anything that extreme to the gospel, but it's just that you just don't get it. Say, Jeff, what is God asking me to do when He says I'm supposed to know something that can't be known? Here it is. You have a relationship with the one who has all the answers. That's it. Come to Christ in faith. Be born again. Be saved for real. And then at that point, you realize that this is something that I can realize this. I am a great, as John Newton said, I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. And because I'm a great sinner, I need a great Savior. Jesus, would you save me? Would you come into my life? And for a Christian who that has happened to, it is for us to give, going back to verse 16, to let Jesus dwell in our hearts through faith. And notice the last phrase there in verse 19. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Meaning that we're supposed to be allow God to simply fill us up with Him. Now that does not mean that we become another God, but it simply means that we have the heart of God and the mind of Christ. That means that when we look at people, we see those people as Christ loves people. You know the reason why some churches never do outreach? It's because they don't look at people as Christ looked at people. Look at people as, well, they're of that ethnicity, they're of that social strata, they're of that nationality. And because of that, we'll let somebody else reach out to them. It's just not comfortable. Y'all okay? It's just not comfortable for me to get out of my comfort zone. Well, to state it mildly, it wasn't comfortable when Christ hung on the cross. But the love of God that is known through faith filled with all the fullness of God. When God begins to come into your life, He will change you. You will pick up your Bible and you'll say, and by the way, if you don't know how to read the Bible, just just say, Lord, I need your help. Please teach me through your word. You will read scripture and sometimes it will be like God is speaking to you through that. He is raking you over the coals to show you ways to improve in your walk before him. And it's like you need to open up the door. Like, man, it's getting hot in here. God is firing through his word truth into my life. God will change your life. Many of you, you've told me what God has done in your life recently. And that's so encouraging. And there's some people and 
The whole time, you, do, you, don't, you don't frown, you just kind of sit there. I don't know, maybe, maybe get somebody to come over and check your pulse. And usually it's that same person, like right after we say the prayer, it's like Flash Gordon. They're like, I think that was a person, but I'm not sure. Let's call the deacons. Like they're just, you know, like I don't know what's going on. Some people, man, they just come and it's like they're alive, but they're really not. You've been in church for years and you've not, God has not done a work in your life. He can and he will if you allow him to. If you open up your heart through faith. Finally, go with me to verse 21. I love this. Now to him. So Paul's like, you know what, man? I've prayed that you guys would know God. I'm praying that he would operate in your control room. I'm praying that he would do great things for you. And now let me talk to God for a minute. Paul's like, oh, I'm praying about praying for you guys. Well, let me just talk to my Savior. Here's what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all. We could ask or think, meaning that it goes way beyond anything that we could imagine. You know, the problem with a lot of our praying is that we pray based upon our ability to pray and not based upon God's ability to answer. I encourage you to, if you take anything away from this message, say, you know what, what I'm going to do, if it seems too big to ask, I'm going to ask God anyway, because he can, he can, God can do anything that he wants to. God is able. Notice the way the the phrase ends there in verse number 20. This is the best part. According to the power at work within us. That means that the works that God's going to do that we couldn't even imagine, he says he will do through us when he's working through us. What an amazing part of the gospel that God would choose to work Not through some, all the time, like some miraculous thing, but He's going to work through you and me. Average people. Because when God works through us, He's the one who gets all of the glory. Amen? He said, I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to gain the glory from you. This. And you say, now Jeff, what problems was Paul facing? Here is a problem with a guy named Nero who was in charge of basically the whole known world. Here's what history says from Dio Cassius about the leader of the Roman Empire. This is what's going on when Paul was writing this letter. This may freak you out, but this is just raw history. The Emperor Nero would... I'm going to edit this a little bit. The... Emperor Nero would fasten boys and girls to stakes and then putting on the hide of a wild beast, attack them and satisfy his brutal lust under the appearance of devouring their bodies. That guy's in charge of everything. A perverted maniac bent on destroying, on doing everything contrary to the Word of God, and he's in control of the Roman Empire. And yet, Paul says, you know what? Nero may be in charge for a time, but I'm talking about the one who's able to do far more than we can ask or think. Let me just... Guys, Nero is in the dust pile of ancient history. And I heard one guy say, that's why people today call their dogs Nero and their sons Paul. Even when it looks like nothing can happen, it looks like the world is spinning out of control, God is still God. 
You may have a maniac in control of what seems to be the whole planet, but God is able to do far more than we could ask or think. It wasn't too long after the Apostle Paul wrote this, where you have, and I have a longer quote that I'm not going to read that we'll have on our website about the Roman Emperor Domitian, who was even more perverted, I believe, than Nero. More twisted, more cruel. It wasn't too long after that, Christians were being killed day after day after day after day. But yet the Roman Empire crumbled from the steady advance of humble men and women who said, you know what, you can kill me, you can throw me to the lions, but I'll I'll tell you one thing that I will never renege on, and that is Jesus is Lord. Praise to God today. Jesus is Lord. And when you think about Jesus, he rose from the dead, right? Like not a spiritual resurrection, but he physically rose from the dead. Now, can you imagine that being Jesus? (laughs) I mean, people, they tortured you. They put you on a cross. They put you in the ground. They tried every way to kill you. And now you're back from the dead. You know what I would have wanted to do? I would have wanted to go and like appear like right in the middle of the night to all of the, the like the religious leaders who tried to kill me and be like, what now, sucker? The Christ didn't rise from the dead out of arrogance. He did it in power. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the reason why the Apostle Paul is saying right here that God is able to do far more than we could ever ask or think. The invitation today is simply this. For believers, if you think that it is too much to ask of God, do it. Because God is looking for people to show Himself strong in.